convince it that you know this is an okay situation and not and and try to convey that i'm not absolutely terrified but uh basically it faded from stationary bluff charges to a full speed charge and i kept backing away slowly and doing my thing and faded from hey bear woe bear to yelling obscenities and help and uh the guys were far enough away and the wind was the right direction that they couldn't hear me at all so it was just just me and the bear and and uh when it was charging at me full speed i could actually feel the ground shaking beneath my feet because it's just this this incredibly thumpy gallop with a huge amount of power and a huge amount of weight and i kept backing away slowly telling myself not to run and it just closed that distance hey there guys today we are joined by alex messenger he is the author of a book entitled the 29th day surviving a grizzly attack in the canadian tundra he was only 17 years old when this happened it all starts with a 600 mile canoe trip in the canadian wilderness pretty much a 17 year old's dream adventure but after he is mauled by a grizzly bear it's all about staying alive and pay careful attention guys to the part of the show where alex reveals how he came within a quarter of an inch of his femoral artery being severed by the canine tooth of this grizzly bear and we explore the probability of why that happened and what he has learned from it some 15 years on. So without further ado, into Alex Messenger. How's it guys? Welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Map Round Show. Today I'm joined all the way from the bright lights of Minnesota in the USA on Memorial Day where no one cares about COVID-19. It's just, let's just get together and have some fun. <laughs> but Alex, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's good to be here. And yeah, it's a it's a beautiful Memorial Day. Luckily, I'm not at the beach with all the people. So, <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to be talking about this here book, uh, The 29th Day. Uh, this actually is your book. Uh, surviving yes. a grizzly attack in the Canadian tundra. So this is a 600-mile canoe trip uh, in the Canadian wilderness that uh, went incredibly wrong quite quickly when you were uh, 17 years old, so circa 2005. Um, and we're going to dive into uh, what went down, what transpired, and uh, ultimately what can we all learn from this very traumatic experience. So guys, um, just to also say we are live broadcasting this thing as per usual. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and uh, LinkedIn. So uh, wherever you're catching this, comment, let me know uh, that you are there. Give this a retweet, give this a like, a share, do whatever you want to do. Uh, we will be giving away some cool stuff at the end of the show. So please do stick around and uh, let's make this as interactive as possible. So all you need to do is comment and we will pick it up on our side. And so, yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. So, so Alex, um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Give us the, you know, the story. Uh, just set this one up for us. Who are you? What are you about? Uh, and uh, let's take it from there. Yeah, so I'm Alex Messenger. I'm based in Duluth, Minnesota. That's right at the tip of Lake Superior. 
in the middle of the U.S., just shy of Canada. Uh, so Canada's kind of been in my backyard for a while. I grew up in the Twin Cities, uh, Minnesota. I'm an author and photographer and a marketer. My day job is doing marketing for a hospital. Um, and then I write and do uh, lifestyle travel photography um, as my kind of passion side job. Um, I've been a passionate outdoors person and traveler for a long time. I grew up with parents who were teaching study abroad trips to uh, foreign countries um, and was able to go on those trips since I was three and started out kind of the adventurous lifestyle at that point and then got into backcountry camping um, when I was probably nine or so um, going into the Boundary Waters canoe area wilderness up here in northern Minnesota and kind of cut my teeth there and, and just got a love of the outdoors and, and of these amazing experiences and photography and, and writing kind of dovetail into, into those kinds of things really nicely. So, uh, okay. it just was really natural. So this can, this canoe trip, uh, that you went on, was this something that you were doing anyway? Was this like a lifestyle hobby thing? Was it something you were always doing or was it a first time experience? Walk us through, like, how did this all actually start from the very beginning? Yeah, so uh, the Boundary Waters is kind of um, how it started. So Boundary Waters, you're doing canoe camping, you're in the backcountry, you're carrying all your stuff, um, you're you know sleeping in a tent and all that jazz. And I went with my family for a long time uh, before going to this camp, uh, Minogen, that this trip was through. Um, and that was just like a paradigm shift. You know, I'd been on all these trips with my family, and then I finally went um, in this more structured uh, environment with actual guides and, and other campers my own age. And it just uh, really opened up to me what you can do traveling in the backcountry and how to do it really effectively. Mm. And so I started that as an eight day session and then you just kind of progress through uh, longer, more difficult trips and um, more intense. And you learn, you learn new skills uh, on each of those and just really grow really quickly. So by the time I went on this long trip, this Oms du Nord, we mispronounced the French, uh, it's Om du Nord, but <laughs> uh, by the great. time I went on this trip, I'd been going on, um, I'd gone on a 32-day trip the year before and a 21-day trip the year before. And so you really work your way up and you have to be invited back on these longer trips because they're uh, intense enough that you have to you have to have the right stuff to be out there uh, and be self-supported for mm. that long. So what makes it's all incremental. Yeah, man. So just to ask some pretty obvious stuff because uh, I'm sure, yeah. um, you know, we, we're all just trying to understand. So um, <laughs> so you're 17. How many people were you as part of this group? Yeah, there were six of us total. So there was one guide and then five campers. We were all uh, about the same age except for our guide who was about 10 years older than us. Okay. And so, so. Six, 600 miles is a long way from, from basically civilization. So it, it like... At what point in the 600-mile journey did this actually happen? When did I don't give away too much. I want to kind of leave the meat and the potatoes a bit <laughs> later. But like, how far yeah. into this journey was it? Like a two-week thing, a one-week thing? Yeah, so it's a 42-day trip overall, okay. um, and this was 29 days into that trip. So we were, I don't know the exact mileage, but we were probably 450 or 500 miles from our starting point. And our starting point wasn't like get out of the car, throw the boat in the water. It was get out of the van, throw the boats onto a twin otter float plane and then fly for an hour into the middle of nowhere and start from there. So it right off the bat was just out uh, 
in some pretty remote country, which was amazing. I know. Can you actually describe some of the the kind of environment that you were in? Like, where exactly did you go? Obviously, you're canoeing and so forth. But like, how? I imagine it's like it's proper like nature. Like, there's no. It's untouched. Is that fair to say? Definitely. I mean, there's been people there for thousands of years, um, but uh, as far as like roads and and all the kind of you know the civilization that you come to expect that's not there whatsoever um we started out that float plane ride was basically from the end of the road in northern manitoba in lynn lake and then we were dropped off in the southeastern corner of the northwest territories and that whole plane ride up uh there was just nothing but lakes and trees uh as far as you could see out the sides of the plane and then when we landed too it's just there's just nothing out there and you expect to see no one for the rest of this trip uh for 42 days uh you're not really expecting to see another group um they're out there and there's there's mining operations here and there but um it's just super remote and and uh really unique country and unique experience especially in this day and age where it's kind of hard to get away from that stuff i know right it's crazy to to think that um you know just 2005 to now how much things have uh, kind of accelerated technology wise right um yeah i mean to that point that's when youtube was founded (laughs) (laughs) was the iphone even around back then no wasn't it no iphone uh i don't i think the motorola razor was like Right around there. <laughs> Dude, I had the red. Do you remember the snake on the Nokia? Do you remember that game? No. No, okay. Jeez, showing my age. It was before then. It was like one of the well, first, just, yeah. first phones. It was like the brick. It was like everyone raved about the Nokia. It was just like oh, it wasn't brick, even a color yes. screen. I don't know. Yep, yep. I don't think mine had games on them. <laughs> <laughs> so... um I've been reading some of the uh, comments uh, here on um, Amazon, and um, one of the one of the comments here I'll, I don't need to dig it out because I've read it already. But one of them was basically saying that um, they really would like to know how one of your group could come up with cinnamon rolls one day and then another day eats pizza. How was that accomplished? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, I mean, we we ate really well on this trip. Um, you know, the nice thing about a canoe trip, it's kind of unique in, in backcountry travel. You have this vehicle where you can carry your heavy stuff. And so we were able to bring lots of various ingredients, um, 
a fair uh a fairly robust cupboard of equipment and everything so um we actually had a backcountry oven um which is like this round pan with a round lid and it's got these various heat diffusion things and this uh heat skirt that goes around it so we were able to bake really well in the backcountry with just this tiny little msr stove um so yeah we'd have cinnamon rolls and then pizza and and uh soup and fish fresh caught from the lakes and um and you know it's not everything has to go on your back and especially on a trip like this where um a, a typical canoe trip you're going from one body of water to another and you're portaging carrying your gear pretty often uh, on a trip like this we were mostly on rivers so we were just uh, able to keep our stuff in the boat most of the time too so that was nice <laughs> i know right um so let's get into this so you're about 29 days into this trip you are hundreds of miles away from any kind of civilization um let's get into it so the big event what happens walk us through where you were who you were with how did this thing come about usually it's you know grizzly bears are the kind of things you avoid so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we were certainly avoiding uh grizzly bears we didn't want to have an encounter like this uh it's a pretty dispersed grizzly area um so we knew they were there and we were prepared we had bear spray and bear poppers and various things but we really were not expecting to see them and and we certainly weren't expecting to walk up on them there's no trees for hundreds of miles, we'd passed the tree line coming north on day 20. Um, so the visibility is just uh, far and wide. Um, and so this is day 29. Um, we were camped on a huge island on this enormous lake called Princess Mary Lake. It's about 25 miles wide at its widest point the island is. Um, or excuse me, the lake is. The island's about five miles wide. And, um, so it's a layover day, so we're not traveling anywhere. It's just a day of rest. And, uh, we went from one meal to the next, which is what you do on a layover day. So we had cinnamon rolls or, or whatever we could manage at the time. Um, and, uh, then we went into lunch and then everybody decided to go hang out at the top of this ridge that was right behind our campsite. And, um, I decided that I was really tired, so I was going to take a nap. Uh, and I wasn't going to join the group. So I stayed in the tent and I took a nap um, and the guys climbed up there and hung out and read and took pictures. And um, they were at the highest point around. You could see for for probably 30 miles in every direction. And uh, I slept. Apparently, I slept for like three hours while they hung out up there. A little bit of Rip Van Winkle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all those cinnamon rolls, dude. Sugar crash. Put you, put you to sleep. You <laughs> yeah, know, all exactly. that fresh air and all the sugar. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. I was pretty tuckered. So yeah, <laughs> I uh, decided to lay down. And, you know, who knew that that was going to uh, turn into a pretty serious uh it was going to have some pretty serious repercussions um so i woke up with a start and was suddenly like oh man i'm i'm really late and i need to go i need to climb up this ridge and and meet the guys and got out of the tent and they were all back except for our guide dan who was who was scrambling down this ridge um so i threw on all my stuff i started up 
checked in with him and then continued to the top. Um, and it took me about 10 minutes to climb up. And, and then at the top, it's just these rolling granite domes of this just incredibly sparse landscape. Um, again, you know, no trees. Uh, this is, it's really like an Alpine environment up at the top of this ridge. Um, so it's just, it's, it's very otherworldly. And I'm not thinking about anything other than what I'm going to do when I sit up there and I'm just kind of walking up one of these rolling granite domes and I didn't know it, but a 600 pound barren ground grizzly bear was walking up the other side and we were walking straight towards each other. And so I'm just walking along, looking at the ground and I see this image of brown fur at the crest of the ridge. And I'm suddenly like, Oh God, there's a muskoxen and a muskoxen is this big uh, prehistoric animal that we'd seen quite a bit. They've got this huge helmet of these curving horns. Um, they can fight off a grizzly bear. They can gore a person and they'll charge at random. Um, so they're definitely something to be respected. And uh, so that first instant, I thought that's what I was looking at. And I was just like, this is a terrible situation. And the next millisecond I realized that, it was a grizzly bear and we both just had the same reaction, which was what am I looking at? And, uh, this is a a terrible situation. That's a unique uh, (laughs) reaction to how big is this thing in actual weight? Uh, I estimate 600 pounds. We didn't weigh the bear, uh, of course. Well, but, yeah, uh, I mean, you didn't, write, you didn't tackle looking, the thing. You know what I'm saying? Come back here to me weigh yeah, first well, when before I you mold this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I went to zoos after the fact and kind of looked at the different uh, grizzly bears that were there and, and estimated it at 600 pounds based on what the other ones looked like. So, Well, I've got some up pretty, on, uh, on, my, on the screen here just to show how you, you can't see it, dude, uh, but it is on... Um, <laughs> Google Images, you, I mean, you were there, so you don't really need to see it again. But, yeah, um, I can visualize it. That's but Like, this is a, one ugly bear, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's beautiful, <laughs> but also when it's growling at you, it's could do with yeah, some Yeah, it's cosmetic. a force of nature. I mean, it's definitely uh, a pretty real experience to come upon one in the wild. I mean, we had seen one uh, on day 20, like, miles away and that was that was humbling and that was a really powerful experience um but uh totally totally different to come upon one by yourself uh and have it be 30 feet away uh that's just a really bad situation because um what you don't want to do is you don't want to scare or startle an animal like this because it's going to instantly be put into its fight or flight Mm. And it doesn't really have time to make that decision, so it might make a rash decision. So, wh- so what should you do, though? I mean, is that what's the recommended advice? Like, you know, sh- next time I'm in the Canadian outback, and uh, yeah. you know, I ran into a grizzly bear at the top of a ridge. I mean, what's the what's the recommended professional advice? To stand still, to run, to duck and cover. Um, Yeah, so the one thing you can't do is run. And that's a lot of times like the one thing that you want to do, because if you run, it's going to kick in their chase instinct. um, And that's bad. You know, it's kind of like a dog or (laughs) a cat. They're like, oh, fun. Um, So you can't run. Um, You know, a lot of the a lot of the recommendations, they start before you get in that situation. So there's a couple of things like uh, it's advisable to stay in groups. Um, The stats drop off precipitously for negative grizzly bear encounters with groups of three or more. Um, So uh, the more people you have, safety in numbers is really is really true here. Um, So try not to be alone. Uh, 
you need to carry a deterrent with you. Like I said, we had bear spray, but I didn't have it on me. Uh, I didn't have it on my belt and that would have changed this scenario significantly. Uh, it was in the tent and uh, it wasn't our practice at that time to carry it on us. Um, of course that, that is the practice now. Um, (laughs) and that's my practice now as well. Um, but you need a deterrent, uh, because if you get in that situation, you want to be able to, uh, to, to stop it. Uh, and you can't (laughs) do that with your hands and whatever, but basically you're trying to diffuse that situation and show the bear that you're a human and not a, not an animal. So, um, the advice that we were given and the advice that I still go by is you back away slowly. Again, don't run, avoid eye contact, but talk to the bear and tell it, you know, who you are. Hey bear, whoa bear. It's okay, bear. Um, I don't think this bear had ever seen a human before, so it was just in uncharted territory. Um, so back away slowly. Um, you don't want to like climb trees or stuff. I didn't have trees, but you know, if you mm. were to be giving someone a suggestion, uh, <laughs> bears can climb trees better than we can. Um, so yeah. back away slowly, talk to it, try to calm it down and basically show it that you're not a threat. Um, now if you've got a bunch of people, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of the opposite. Cause you can be like, Hey, get out of here. Um, and you know, again, you've got strength in numbers. Now that changes a bit depending on your bear species. So that's all grizzly bear. If it's black bear, um, you you basically want to intimidate it uh, and be like, "Hey, get out of here!" and make yourself big and loud and and tell it to go away. How do you um, how do you intimidate a six hundred pound bear? <laughs> <laughs> well, most black bears aren't six hundred pounds, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean they're they're pretty. They're pretty intimidating and it's it's kind of uh it kind of goes against a lot of our nature right to be like hey get out of here i'm big and scary you're the one with claws yeah exactly (laughs) big teeth so uh and then you know it's the another kind of wild card in there is if it's um if it's a mother with cubs uh you just want to give it give it space um because they are are fiercely defensive of their young so Basically, the uh, those are the general rules. But what I tell people is, you know, if you're going to the backcountry, check in with uh, the ranger station, check in with the with the local experts. Uh, they'll usually have materials on what you should do in a grizzly bear encounter, what to do to, or a bear encounter in general, what to do, uh, you know, again, preemptively, like groups, uh, making sure that your food's separate from your camping space, things like that, um, and then carry the deterrent. So... <laughs> some so, people choose a firearm for that um yeah but that takes a lot of training and if bear spray would have worked it's an unfortunate outcome for the bear so now is bear spray the what is it is it is it the equivalent of pepper spray or is it a more aggressive form of pepper spray or is it the same yeah it's basically a more aggressive form of pepper spray um it's incredibly concentrated capsation uh sprays 40 feet uh the counter assault brand that i carry um, so it's a 40 foot cone of, of, uh, stuff that's just gonna mess with their eyes and their nose and their breathing and everything. Um, and it shoots for like seven seconds. So, uh, it's, <laughs> I've, I've breathed it in before. It's pretty <laughs> offending <laughs> and, uh, it, it's very easy to use and it's, it works really well, uh, in those situations. So. Mate, I'm looking at the pictures on, um, uh, the whole, everyone in the stream can see this as well. Um, but I'm amazed at how far this thing sprays. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Got to be uh, paying attention to the wind, you know, the wind's at your back. Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's a good face. point. Oops. <laughs> I mean, like, look at this but, thing. But uh, other than that, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty foolproof. Um, so you just always have it on your person ready to go. And you kind of, you know, you practice with it as if it's a firearm or something. You practice drawing and pulling off the safety cap and aiming and don't oh. squeeze. You can get trainers that'll let you do the yeah. full thing, but, yeah. uh, you know, make it second nature so that when you're in that situation, you can deploy it quickly and, and have it ready for if you need to use it. Okay. Well, that's, uh, so that's that, right? So basically, so what did yeah. you do then? Did you back, did you slowly, did you follow the advice and walk back and, and why did things go the way that it did? Yeah. Uh, so I, I flashed back to our, our training that we'd gone through. I actually imagined using the bear spray and I pictured it in the tent. <laughs> Just like, uh. And, uh, but then I, you know, did what we were supposed to do, what we were told we were supposed to do next. I backed away slowly. I said, Hey bear, whoa, bear. It's okay, bear. And it was kind of trying to feel the situation out too. It did a couple of stationary bluff charges launching onto its paws. And, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I kept backing up slowly and trying to, uh, <laughs> convince it that, you know, this is an okay situation and not, and, and try to convey that I'm not absolutely terrified. But uh, basically, it faded from stationary bluff charges to a full speed charge. And I kept backing away slowly and doing my thing and faded from hay bear, woe bear to yelling obscenities and help. And uh, the guys were far enough away and the wind was the right direction that they couldn't hear me at all. So it was just just me and the bear. And, and uh, when it was charging at me full speed, I could actually feel the ground shaking beneath my feet because it's just this this incredibly thumpy gallop with a huge amount of power and a huge amount of weight. And I kept backing away slowly, telling myself not to run. And it just closed that distance uh, incredibly quickly. Again, it started out as 30 feet. I backed up really slowly. It came forward slowly. So we're basically at 30 feet when it started to come on full charge. When it was five or 10 feet from me, I had a Pelican case, which is this hard-sided waterproof case with a camera in it. And it's the only time I'll throw my camera. And it's also the only time a throw mine hit something it was supposed to because I was a really bad shot. But just like reflex, my arm went back and chucked it underhand. And uh, it put it on just all subconscious lead and it put it on a straight course right to the bear's snout. And it was five or 10 feet from me when I did this. And uh, hit it on the bear's nose with enough force to turn its head all the way to the side. And the pelican case went flying over its shoulder and it grunted and it couldn't see me for a couple of its steps. And I was able to jump out of the way and dodge it on that first pass, like bullfighting style, like a matador. And it missed me. And as soon as it realized it missed me, it came at me again. And I was able to jump out of the way again. And uh, it was just this crazy dance. And I was barely getting out of the way of its claws as it was just like swiping its paws at me and like reaching its jaws to try to get me. And each time it came at me, it got closer and closer. And I was able to dodge it like this for like three or four passes where uh, it didn't bite me and it didn't hit me that hard uh but my jacket had claw marks down the back and down the arm and uh the next time it came at me it bit at my leg and i pulled my leg out of the way at the last second and it snapped shut right next to it with this snap and and just inches away from my leg and then i was still trying to get get ready for the next pass but its paw was up at the same time as it bit at me 
and I saw it when it was just a couple inches from my face before it swiped me across the face. And uh, that's what the grizzly bear uses to take down caribou and muskox and big, big mammals. And there's a huge amount of force in it. And, and it'll, it'll stun them. It'll knock them out. Sometimes it'll kill them. Uh, sometimes with people, it'll just like peel all the skin off their face. I was really lucky. As you can see, I, I kept mm. my face uh, because the distance was just perfect. It was the meat of the palm that hit me across the face there. Uh, but huge amount of force and it flicked my head to the side and I went flying to the side. And as I was in midair, it still had that pop and it threw me down to the ground hard onto my tailbone. And it, then its head was right at the top of my leg and it bit me, uh, just below the hip. And, uh, I, uh, people are like, so the adrenaline rush, take care of the pain. No, <laughs> I felt no. its teeth go in both sides of my leg, and then I blacked out. Did it? And did it break your your femur? It didn't. It could have. Uh, it could have broken my femur. It could have severed the leg. But um, it was kind of a tempered bite. <laughs> mm. uh, tempered bite on a grizzly bear is still pretty significant. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it uh, it did a lot less damage than it could have. Um, but basically, I had a vasovagal response, and my body just shut off. And uh, at that point, I played dead incredibly effectively because <laughs> I was unconscious. <laughs> yeah, you got him now. He's done. So, you know, um, in um, I don't know whether you've ever been to South Africa, but, um, you know, well, maybe you can actually get this information anyway, really. But, I mean, we've got a huge great white population here. And so people always say, well, sure. you know, uh, you know, sharks they don't really want to eat humans they just they don't have the best eyesight you're busy flopping on top of the water making noise or whatever the case is or bleeding um, and that's when they come up from the from the deep and then they you know hit you from the top or from the bottom rather they push you up into the air and but the moment mm-hmm. they bite you yes they're going to take off a limb or they're going to severely you know uh, impair your ability to move <laughs> uh, right. but um, but what they don't do is keep going you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, okay, you're not a seal, I'm out. Is that the same kind of, um, does, well, should I say, does that insight stand true for grizzly bears in your opinion as well? It's a really good question. Uh, it very much depends on the situation. Um, there's, uh, there's, def- there's basically two types of encounters. There's defensive encounters and predaceous encounters. Uh, defensive encounters are the encounter that I had. And it sounds like essentially comparative to the great white encounter that animal is, is confused or it wants to eliminate a threat. And once that's done or it figures out something, then it's, it's out of there. Um, the predaceous encounter is, is super creepy to me, but basically it's where the bear sees you as food. Um, and uh, kind of an extension of our conversation earlier, what do you do when you see a bear? Um, what do you do when the bear is basically doing what it was doing to me? It's attacking you. Um, you're, you play dead, uh, which like I said, I did by accident, which was great. Um, choosing to play dead is like uh, really in that situation for me, that was like what I did not want to do. <laughs> That's one of the things that you are supposed to do if it, if it, um, if it comes to that um, in a predaceous encounter, it'll keep going like with a defensive encounter. It'll be like, it'll play with you a little bit and then it'll be like, I guess, I guess I did it. I'm out of here. Um, generalizing of course, but, uh, in a predaceous encounter, it'll, it'll keep going or it'll start to transport you because it's like, Oh, I want to bring this home. 
Um, and in that situation, you switch from playing dead to fighting for your life, going for the eyes. Uh, I've heard if you throw your arm down, it's throw it at like gags and it doesn't want anything to do with you, you know, maybe at the cost of your arm, but yeah, (laughs) exactly. Let me take my arm and shove it down that bear's throat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you'll pretty much do anything at that point. And if it works, then, then great. Uh, you know, your mileage may vary and hopefully no one has to (laughs) test that, but, uh, yeah, so you know, it really can can be either one of those, um, and there are some triggers, uh, uh, some indicators of what kind it's going to be beforehand. You know, if the bear's sick or doesn't look well, um, you know, that's uh, one of the scenarios where it'll end up uh, possibly being more predaceous because it's not able to get the sustenance it needs through its normal channels or things like that, or if it's like stalking you for a while, um, signs that it's not a healthy bear. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, indicative of maybe when it might be a predaceous encounter. Um, like I said, there's, <laughs> it's, it, it's super creepy. I mean, being in that, in, in that situation, um, you know, you're, you're lowered to a level of, uh, evolution that is just so far removed from the time that we're at right now. Right. I mean, it's just back to the ice age or, or, you know, thousands of years ago where it's like man versus beast. And, and, um, it's, it's a pretty humbling experience to be put back to that. And I can only imagine what's that, what that's like when it's a predaceous encounter where it's, you know, not just defensive and it's looking at you as a meal. So super lucky, uh, for me that, that it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but like you mentioned the, the stalking thing. So that for me is interesting, right? So like if I'm, I qualified as a scuba diver, probably around about the same age as, as what you were, uh, 17, um, when, uh, when your event happened. And so, um, I always remember in the exam was a question that, um, said, how do you interpret sharks when you're, uh, when you see one underwater? And uh, I can't remember the, the all the options, but the one option was unpredictable. So you always treat them as un, as unpredictable. And so if you think about your situation, it's the, it's pretty much the same thing, right? Um, and I've just been like searching here. There's um uh, up on the stream, guys, you'll be able to see. There's actually quite a few videos of um, bears stalking humans um, in um, in in the wild. Um, does and but knowing, of course, that you know they don't. We're not predominantly they're part of their food repertoire. So, uh, so I wanted to kind of get your view on that. What triggers that? Is that just a you know an evolution thing, curiosity thing? How would you explain that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and uh, you know what I'd say, I I defer to biologists and people that study their behavior. Um, for the uh, definitive answer, but of I've heard, you know, curiosity again, like I said, if they're, if they're unwell, they're injured or they're not able to get the food that they need, they're going to branch out uh, and they're going to try to find that sustenance wherever they can. Um, You know, more often than not, they want to just avoid you. They don't want to be around you at all. And that's, uh, uh, (laughs) that's nice, right? (laughs) I know. You know, it's nice to see them in the wild, but you don't... (laughs) What's that? Please avoid us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But actually, you know what? Yeah, we so should be avoiding them, right? That's the thing. I mean, how much of their natural habitat is being threatened now? Oh, it's it's crazy how much it's shrunk. And, um, you know, there's some organizations that are putting a really focused effort on on making sure that we maintain or, or rebuild some of their, their habitats. Um, but it's, 
uh, they're, they're severely limited from what they, they had before. Um, so, and that's, that's really sad to me. I mean, they're an amazing animal and they're, you know, they're part of our food chain. Um, and they're just something to be respected. And, you know, I think, uh, I think they're a species that we want to have around as, as long as possible. Um, because they're just amazing. And i mm. I feel like I have this, uh, weird connection with them now. <laughs> well, you <would>. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, 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 uh, I, um, want them to uh do well you know they're they're in the animal kingdom and everything and they're going to go about you know the ups and downs of that but you know i want i want them to be able to do that uh on their own uh terms and <laughs> yeah no i think <laughs> we know. all do in fact i've got quite a yeah. few uh comments coming in yet so let's take one because they get upset sure. if i don't ask them all um so this one's from fiona van de nest she says uh matt the bear spray uh, what is it? How does it deter the bears? She goes on to say, "Beautiful animals, black bears." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bear spray, uh, like we talked about, it's basically like a concentrated, super powerful pepper spray. Um, and just like humans, where it attacks your eyes and it makes you like cough and it kind of assaults your your respiratory system, it has the same effect on bears. So it'll get into their eyes and just be really uncomfortable. It, they'll breathe it into their snout, you know we have a pretty uh, weak nose. And when you put it into a very powerful nose, all those receptors are just going crazy and it'll kind of spasm your upper respiratory and make you cough and stuff. But it's basically, a, um, you know, it's not going to harm uh, the bear, uh, but it's, it'll typically be like, make them go, I don't, oh, I don't want to be in this situation and mm. leave just like a mugger, you know, hopefully <laughs> spray them and they're going to have the same reaction and leave. So, Cool. So thanks for the question, guys. Uh, I'll get on to some more Nolan and company. Um, but um, let's so we let's get back into the story. So you black out, yeah. you've been bitten. Um, now you come to, obviously, at some point. I mean, when do you realize the severity of the situation that you're in? Yeah, I mean, the severity really hit me before I blacked out um, when it was... Uh, choosing to to charge at me and and <clears throat> i was like reading it's reading it and it uh it wasn't going to stop um so like that five or ten feet you know um i was just like basically switched from all the things i was yelling to yelling no because i was so sure that i was about to die and i just did not want that to happen and i was just filled with this extreme sense of loss and 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 just such sadness um and then you know it bit me and the lights went out it was like well, that's kind of it um so the next instant i remember i don't know exactly how long it was before this happened but i i started to kind of be aware of what was going on and everything was kind of spinning around me and i'd catch little glimpses of this and that but it was basically like flying around uh and then i finally caught the horizon and it was like this in my perception my brain just calibrated to what was actually level and and i was still like dizzy and and kind of followed the horizon with my eyes and i saw that the bear was still there <sighs> but it was running away at a trot and so i went from being so sure that i was going to die to knowing that i was alive and just being absolutely elated and then seeing the bear again and just going back into this dread. So then I played dead consciously and waited until it uh, went back down the ridge because it was running away at a trot. 
but it was looking at me pretty much the whole time to make sure that I was still eliminated as a threat because basically fight or flight fight it's eliminating the threat and then it wants to get out of there and it uh was convinced and i didn't want to uh <laughs> have it second guess itself and come back to finish the job so i uh waited for it to go completely and then i got up and i took stock of of what was going on my face was throbbing from that hit i had uh other throbbing pains from the scratches and everything and my leg was uh very very painful and i I didn't look at it, but I touched it with my hand and it was all wet. I was like, oh no, it's covered in blood. And I pulled my hand up and I looked at it and it wasn't blood. It was bare saliva all sticky between my fingers. Great. I was like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's not blood. Bucket list. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that could have been bad. And again, I didn't know how long I was out. So, you know, sticky blood uh, would indicate that it was drying. So it was, it was just saliva. Um, so then I, I got up and I grabbed my stuff that I dropped. I, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. So I had my summer reading pocket, summer reading book in my pocket. And for some reason I grabbed that book cause I, uh, didn't want to leave anything on the top of the ridge. And, um, I started running back to camp because I, I knew that I had this, uh, these injuries. I didn't know what the extent of my injuries was, were, but I had this, this terrible one on my leg. And I knew that I had this adrenaline rush going and that it would only last for so long. And that by the time it was gone, I might not be able to to move my leg anymore. And none of the guys had appeared, like I said, because they just couldn't hear me. So I was just self-sufficient and started running back to camp as fast as I could and, you know, limping along uh, with my leg. And I was wearing sandals, <laughs> not very good foot protection. Uh, <laughs> where, where was your party at this point? I mean, so you walked up to me at the top of the ridge and then they to meet them. Were they even around when this all happened? They were back at our campsite, okay. uh, which is where I had started out the tents. Um, so you missed so them. that was, it was really only like 200 yards away as the crow flies. Okay. But the 50 yards at the beginning of that were a hundred vertical feet. That's that ridge. Um, so basically there was a cliff between me and them. And, and the, like I said, the wind was going in the wrong direction. So, um, all the stuff that we were saying, me and the bear were just, was just being blown off away from, from them. So, um, as loud as, as all that was, they didn't hear a thing and they were just none the wiser. And it, it had only been a few minutes, um, since they last saw me. So it's like, what's going to happen in that time? You know, <laughs> you don't think anything's going to happen. They were at the highest point around. You could see everything, you know, they knew that, that they knew what they'd seen, which was nothing going on. So <laughs> just kind of a fluke, um, that it was somehow outside of their vision when they were up there as it was coming towards us. Hi there guys, so quick one just to say we have launched a studio line. You can now interact live with our guests either online and or using your mobile phone. The number for the studio line is plus two seven seven nine nine double four eight six three four. The number again is zero seven nine nine double four eight six three four. Add that to your phone guys now and we'll be happy to take your questions live on the Map Round Show. So, so so you come to yeah, kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, of the as I say your your situation at the time. So what was the reaction from the group then when you came kind of, you know, crawling down the hill and then like, hey, listen, 
you know, this is what's going on. Like, how does one react to that situation? I mean, it's kind of like, this guy's not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first reaction, it was just, it's just so surreal. Um, you know, like I said, there's, you're, no one is expecting that to happen, especially in that exact uh, situation where they had been right there. Um, so I got to the top of the ridge and yelled down to them. I was like, bear. And they're like, whatever, Alex. Like, no, bear. <laughs> Except every other word was an expletive. Mm. And uh, so for a couple seconds, they were just like, is he, is he yanking our chain? Is he pulling our leg? Um, and uh, as I'm yelling to them and start running down the hill, one of the other campers turned to our guide and he goes, I think he's serious. <laughs> And then they all exploded, you know, then it, it clicked and they all exploded out of the tent and started doing, you know, the, what, what they needed to do, running to get the bear spray, running to get the bear poppers, which are a noise deterrent, um, running to get the first aid kit, uh, running towards me to, to help me. Um, and as I was going down there, I'm like, our, you know, our, our guide, Dan, he's a wilderness first responder, which is a level of, of training for, uh, this, this kind of a situation when you're the only person out there and you're the only person out there for an extended period of time. Um, I was like, he's going to need to know what's going on, what my injuries are that I'm aware of. Uh, so he can start planning as I'm running. I'm like, I got attacked by a bear and I got hit in the face and I don't know if I'm cut and I got bit in the thigh and there's blood on my foot for some reason. And I don't know why so I had those sandals on and one of my feet was just covered in blood. And I, I had no idea where it was coming from. So it was like, what else is there? <laughs> so it just, it became real very quickly for, for the group and, and they, uh, they rose the occasion uh, as soon as they realized it was real. So, <laughs> so, th so then what, I mean, how do you treat a bear a sort of bite like that? Is it just bandages? Do they, I mean, did you come, do you have to take a survival kit like kind of with you? Do you understand? Like, it's like, if you're yeah. going to go like everybody at home has like a medical aid kit, do you take like a, you know, for bear bites specifically or did you were you prepared <laughs> enough like what did that all uh what did that all look like at the time yeah i mean um yes you have to carry the gear that you need you need to be self-sufficient you know like i said this is a 42-day trip we're not expecting to see anyone rescue at that point uh and throughout the trip is is um very contingent upon a lot of factors you know is there i mean the 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 first line rescue at for a location like that is air based. Um, that's you know helicopter if you're within range, fixed wing, um, and then all the way up to some of the crazy stories we hear about you know military folks jumping out of C-130s and parachuting in to stabilize someone. Um, that happened in the uh, the last year for a hunter in Alaska. Uh, who would have died without that? Um, so. But all those things are, are contingent upon a lot of things like availability, weather, all that stuff. Um, so you really have to be able to rely on yourself. Um, and so, like I said, our guide, Dan, he was a wilderness first responder. Um, and a lot of that training is, you know, specific medical things, but also adaptability and, and being able to use your skills in a variety of situations. So to your question about, you know, is do you have a bear bite pack in it? Um, you have... You have wound uh, care stuff and you have wound cleaning stuff. Um, so, you know, you, you use those tools to that uh, effect. Um, so, you know, with like treating a bear bite, it's 
uh, you know, your first thing that you have to worry about is bleeding because that's an immediate life threat. Um, so you have to control the bleeding. And then your long-term care is, is uh, aggressive cleaning and maintenance of the wound because it's very, very uh, common to get an infection um, with it. And if you clean it very effectively, then that risk drops significantly. Um, so, you know, that's when I got down there, that's what we jumped into was, you know, ABCs, airway breathing circulation, uh, head to toe exam, checking out everything, figuring out what wounds I was aware of, which ones I wasn't. Um, that main bite was, uh, there was, like I said, it was tempered. So I was super lucky. One of the canines punctured to the full depth right at the top of my leg, which was a quarter inch from my femoral artery. Um, and if it had hit that, I would have bled out probably before I got back to camp. Uh, so I was incredibly lucky about the location there. Um, I had a bunch of other tooth marks kind of wrapping around that, but they weren't puncture wounds. They were compression wounds, so they didn't break the skin, uh, luckily, but they still did a lot of damage. So, um, there was a lot to be done on it, but, uh, you know, luckily it wasn't like this huge chunk of flesh that was removed and, and, uh, um, something just more severe, you know, like you said earlier, the broken femur or <laughs> severed leg. So it's well, scary stuff. <laughs> it's very scary. Uh, Primo on uh, Facebook, I'll come to a question in a second. Um, I've just been looking at the stats around a bear, bear attack. So the attack mm-hmm. rate is about 40 attacks per year globally with 11 attacks per year in North America, 18 in Europe and 19 in the East, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And then what percentage of bear attacks are fatal? So bear-inflicted bear human injury mortality are extremely uncommon. That's interesting, that, eh? It's been yeah. est- estimated that bears in, injure an, on average of 10 people and kill an average of one person for every 10. That's yeah. interesting, right? You never would have said that. I would have been like, no, you're done. Like, there's no yep. way you come back from that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. there's just no way, man. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you were gonna have you were gonna say something. Carry on. Oh um, no, I was just uh, it, that you're right. The stats are kind of like <clears throat> flipped. You know, in your mind, you think like that's it. Um, but uh, there's a there's a big spectrum. You know, to how severe it can be. Um, mine's probably on uh, the luckiest end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, my injuries were uh, compared to what actually happened very minor, and I was very lucky. And and um, in Nunavut, which is the province we were in. I think I can't remember the exact numbers, but in the previous 10 years, there'd been something like uh, seven bear attacks and all of them were polar bear. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very rare to have a grizzly bear encounter like this in, uh, in that area. Um, so the stats of people that go to these places and have nothing happen greatly outweigh <laughs> the stats of people that have uh, a negative bear encounter, which is good. So, and then doing all the tools that you can like, you know, traveling in groups, carrying a deterrent, all those things kind of stack the odds in your favor too, where if you were to get into a situation, you could turn it around and have it be just uh, a wild campfire story instead of, uh, uh, you know, life changing. (laughs) I know, right? It's, uh, it's crazy, man. Uh, cool. Let's get some questions in here from, um, uh, the old Facebook community. Uh, since from Primo says, I feel like it is one of those moments in life when one has been preparing for a situation and yet when the situation happens, it is the completely different and worse situation than one expected. 
Uh, question is, how does one recover from that psychologically and not play the blame game? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, to me, uh, I think the, the, the blame game is um, one of the things that uh, makes this, I don't want to say easier, but something that's, uh, that's I'm more able to come to terms with. You know, um, if it's a human-to-human encounter, there's a lot of decision and intention behind something. Um, whereas when you're dealing with a wild animal, you know, they're making... Uh, their decisions uh, based on being a bear in the wild. You know, what did this bear do? It did, it did what a bear does. Um, so it just was uh, in some ways very um, a normal response. Um, so just because there's that lack of intention and uh, malintent on the side of the bear, um, anthropomorphizing a little bit, but mm. uh, I, you know, that, that for me helps a lot and it has helped a lot. Um, you know, I, I think whenever you have a situation like this, there's a lot of rehashing that goes through your brain. You know, like, what if, what if I'd done this? What if I'd had this with me? Or, or you know, how, how could I change the outcome next time? Um, and that's one of the things that I think is, um, uh, helps with, with bear encounters specifically, um, and other encounters too. But, uh, when you have something that, um, you have the ability to again stock, stack the odds in your favor so that you're changing that outcome next time. There's a lot of uh, empowerment that comes from that. You know, I know that if I do these things like go with the group, carry a deterrent, make noise to make sure that the bears don't get surprised by me um, and my group, um, all these things I can do all these actions I can take that will decrease the likelihood of, of this bad thing happening, um, which, you know, improves the outcome for me and improves the outcome for the bear too. Um, so I feel like figuring out what it is that you can do, um, to change your own fate. Uh, there's a lot of power in that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of situations where, you know, someone might say there's nothing I can do. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a Buddhist teaching that I really like, which is, um, that there's no need to worry in life because you can either, uh, take an action and have an effect on something. And in that case, you shouldn't worry. You should do that. You should take action and, and, and work towards, um, what it is that you're trying to work towards, or it's a situation where you can't do anything at all. And in that case, why worry about it? Because you, you literally can't do anything. So, um, kind of taking those to heart and, and, doing what I can and, and being comfortable or, or learning to become comfortable in situations where I don't have control. That's a big one for me. Uh, and for a lot of people as well, this idea of, you know, um, worry only about what you can control. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. He was banging on about um, COVID-19 and, you know, lockdown and the inability to move and, 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 and the effects on the economy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mate, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a system that's so huge. You, like, what do you want us to do? Right. Go and, like, you know, riot in the streets. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we're not trying to overthrow the apartheid government here. This is like a health, you know, it's a health issue. Right. Um, right. It's also a political issue now and in South Africa, a corruption issue. But the point is, it's like, you know, you, you cause yourself so much harm mentally, right? Because you, 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 you fixate and you obsess about the thing that you fundamentally just can't control. It's beyond your control. Right. 
So stop worrying about it. Just stop thinking right. about it. It's like, you know, if I, if I like, uh, if, if everything I worried about in life, right, came true, then like life would be horrible. But I can tell you like <laughs> 999 times out of the thousand times the, of the thing that you worry about most, it never happens. Right. You know, you're going to be okay. Most yep. of you. <laughs> yeah. And even like in a broad situation like COVID-19, it's like, okay, there are things that I can do to protect myself and my family and I'm going to do those things. And that's what I can do. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. I want to just yeah. piggyback onto something you mentioned about the location of the bite being a quarter inch away from your femoral artery. So like yeah. that for me is the thing that I would think about. You know what I mean? Like the bear, okay, being there, okay, you were in its environment and okay, you put yourself at risk, some risk, okay. It's a calculated risk, but nonetheless, yeah. you go out there accepting the fact that you are in the wild and, you know, stuff can happen that you didn't intend for it to happen. I mean, you could have, like anything could really have happened, right? You could have been bitten by a snake or I don't know, like there's many, many things that can go wrong in the wild, <laughs> right. right? Hence, if yeah, you ever want... managed risks. <laughs> yeah, it's managed risks, right? But yep. when, when the thing that you can't control happens to you, okay, and then you get bitten by this bear and your life is literally like a quarter inch that, that is the difference between you being on the map around show and not. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, th I would think about this. I would say, because if you just moved, like, the, think about the timing involved in that, right? Like, uh, or, like he, exactly. if he moved, yeah, or she, maybe, who knows? But, uh, yeah, but whatever, you know, you didn't have time <laughs> to check. Just turn around, will you, mate? Um, but... <laughs> But um, but in like that that for me this thing here that the the quarter inch between life or death and all the different things that could have happened, that for me would would pose some pretty big questions. And I, I wanted to ask you: Have you ever thought about, you know, that quarter inch, like, like why yeah. were you spared, or like, do you understand? Like, was there anything, even if it's spiritually based or philo philosophical based, what was that? like single quarter inch difference what did that mean to you you know as you projected or when you reflected i should say on that event and over the last sort of 10 15 years what did, what does it all tell you about life yeah um well i'm still trying to figure that out right um that's kind of it's launched a lifelong um i don't I don't know if the word's right, but question, you know, like, like what, what does that mean? Um, and the meaning for that, uh, meaning of that for me, um, without being able to, you know, pinpoint it and wrap it in a bow and say, this is what it's about. Um, I've taken it to, to mean, you know, that I'm supposed to keep doing good stuff. Um, that there's, there's something, uh, there's some alignment that happened, right. That, um, made it so that I could live in this situation when it could have been just a smidge away and, and, uh, and ended it. Um, and you know, what's crazy to me is kind of extrapolating that quarter inch and then just going back and, f you know, seeing how many dominoes, right. Exactly. Before that point and, and how many things again align so that you are in this perfect little, uh, situation that could go this way or that way. And it goes that way. 
and that's wild to me um you know i think about this trip and all the all the crazy factors that happen you know right beforehand the guys being there and not seeing it uh me suddenly waking up from this nap and being like i have to get up there like what's that about that's mm, creepy right. um that's insane you know yeah it's like and that's how the book starts it's just like bam waking up and 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 walking up to this grizzly bear walking up to my own fate right um but that's so and, uh, that's insane right yeah but you know, just to add to what you said there for a second, if you don't mind, um, Alex. Yeah. So, so like, um, uh, I think it was Oprah Winfrey or some like super radically successful, broke all the rules, sort of successful, <laughs> Michael Jordan successful type person, and and I can't remember who it was, or maybe it was a quote from Einstein or something like that. But anyway, it was like some uber successful dude or woman actually, and um, and so. Uh, the person asked uh, this this super successful, super ding dong successful person, said, "Listen, how what what have you done to become successful? Like, how did you you know was there an intuitive sense um, in your inner process, right, of creation or manifestation um, that you've used repeatedly to create repeatable, incredible results?" And the response, I think it was Oprah, but she said, listen to the whispers. Nice. Yeah. It's like there's, there's that thing, that voice. It's not the, the doubter, right? It's not the governor. Like David Goggins, <laughs> uh, he calls it the governor, right? It's like the voice that tells you when you should quit. Yeah. So he's governing <laughs> your life. So you need to tell the governor to shove it. Uh, it's not that voice. It's the voice that, is that you described, right? It's like it's the one that said, get up. Yep. get to the top you know what i'm saying yeah. um and so that voice there is the one right that that we don't pay enough attention to because if you think about everything as you said i mean it's the wild to use the word <laughs> okay wild <Yeah>. literally <laughs> in many respects here right it's just a yep. wild thing because if you think about well let me ask you how different do you think your life would be now uh you know if it didn't happen where would you be? Would yeah. you be better off or do you feel that now given the story and, and all the crazy wild things that led up the domino effect that you mentioned, right? The quarter inch yeah. bite uh, from your femoral artery, all that stuff. If you think about all the stuff that went into that, um, do you feel that you're better off now because of your suffering? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I certainly wouldn't be the person that I am, if that hadn't happened, um, I, uh, I think, you know, it's hard to be like, Oh, that stuff was good. <laughs> but I mean, I think the lessons that I, that I gleaned from it were just, um, how else can you, can you learn that kind of stuff, but through your own direct experience. And even if it's, you know, not super tangible, like kind of the stuff we're talking about, um, I, I don't know what I'd be like without that experience um i didn't want it to define me like from an early point but i i never wanted to to lose the perspective that it gave me so i didn't want to be like oh there's that bear guy um but you know that's kind of how it goes <laughs> but uh i i really didn't want to lose those experiences and that you know with memory memory is kind of it fades and it's fallible and it's um something that you know you can practice and improve and you can mine it for for getting back to things um but there's uh 
an intensity and a rawness and um, there's a something important about those actual memories. You know, I was hearing recently that most of the time when you are telling a story, you're not you're not referencing your own memory. What you're doing is you're basically replaying the last time you told it. And um, that's something that I always didn't want to happen with this. Um, I've I've told it thousands of times. Um, And uh, there was a certain like pain that, that gradually decreased with that repetition. And that's exactly because I'm replaying the last time I, I told it but I never wanted to lose the actual raw memories. I always wanted to hold on to that. And it's harder and harder with every year uh, to get that. But um, it's really, it's something that I, I try to hold on to mm. when I get one of those uh, raw memories, because um, it's just, it's so important to um, be able to experience that because it was an experience and it wasn't a it wasn't a story that i heard or a movie that i watched it was something that i went through that was incredibly uh intense and incredibly meaningful for me and i don't ever want to lose that so <laughs> a bit of a tangent but <laughs> no but i mean what you said you know completely stands true i keep talking about this book but it's victor frank uh, victor frankl's book a man's search for meaning and yes. it's a i don't know, have you read it yeah, it's very powerful. You got it on your desk there, haven't you? <laughs> uh, downstairs, downstairs in the bookcase. <laughs> so look, I mean, but look, every like in that book, right? If you think about it, it's like you know, suffering is there to give your life meaning. It's not there to uh, do or to do much else, really. It's about growth and meaning and finding about you know who you truly are, and uh, you know, and it's like. Tony Robbins always says, like, life is happening for you. It's not happening to you. And it's only yep. your perspective of your, your individual experience that messes stuff up for you, you know? Um, yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's meaning is everything. A man, with, a man or woman without meaning in life is, is rudderless. Like, you, you, you're stuffed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when you hear those whispers, you can be like, yes that aligns with me or like, Ooh, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the whisper's right. I shouldn't do what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go and ask for her number at the bar. Just go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that <laughs> one funny. there. That's how I met my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, exactly. It's the funny stories. It's so sucky. That's it's like, awesome. you know, you met your wife on online dating. It's the kind of story that you don't <laughs> that you don't really want to, you know, tell people yeah. like that's how you met your mother. You know what I mean? That's yeah, how I met. Right. That's how that's how I met your mother. You know, whatever the case is. So, but I mean, like that's how it is. It's like it's just these chance uh, events that you know. Right. That it's like it's insane. Like I'm fascinated by it. every time I I recount these stories of survival, I'm always fascinated about the probability of chance with within the story. It's like. Hmm. Mm, Mm-mm. No, yeah. it just doesn't it's, add up, man. Like you have to ask the question. You have to say, like, is life re? Are you in control? Actually, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you feel like I'm in control, I can, you know, I can put, I can switch. Like, I'm doing this podcast. I'm in control of this conversation. But if you think about it, right. how did you get here? Well, then there was Mav. So then there's the whole probability of how he went out to, to find you. Do you, know, do you understand right. what I mean? And then the conversation yep. and then the, the lesson. So it's like, I don't know, the more I think about it, like, like you're not really in control. It's like you're just 
an unwilling actor in a story <laughs> that you just have to be and you know a- anticipative is that is that even a word but you have to just <laughs> anticipate be like excitedly aware of that this is your story and you were always meant to be where you were where you are you understand yeah i do and i think there's um uh i think that you know a lot of us have um well, everybody has choice, right? That's kind of what you're saying is like, but do we? <laughs> but there's also like, I think a lot of times there's the choice to let things happen or to follow a path. Um, and then there's the choice to shut that down and not let it happen. And I think that there's a lot of magic that can happen when you choose to let things unfold and choose to to go down that path and explore and see what's going to happen. Um and I think that a lot of people listen to that governor and they say, oh, I shouldn't. Mm. And uh, it kind of it kind of interrupts that that kind of flow through things. So, yeah, exactly. Undeveloped uh, theories or. <laughs> well, but no, but I mean, like I've got I've got another book deal. Oh, okay. My Mav happens <laughs> to mention to me, my producer, he's like, oh. I've got Penguin publishers in the UK and they're like, they want to you know, publish your next book. I'm like, he just mentions it in passing. I don't understand. You know what I mean? Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but we digress. It's the kind of thing you should let me know about, Mav. Um, <laughs> this is an official thing. <laughs> it is an official thing, apparently. But anyway, yep. um, no pen to paper yet. Certainly interest. But um, anyway, nice I wanted congrats. to thank you, thank you. Um, but obviously, you know, there's more books than you for sure, dude. Um, but um, but Thanks. let's uh, let's do gifts from the Map Brown Show. So, um, guys, we're going to be giving away some cool stuff. So, Alex, why don't you take this one away? Yeah, so we're going to be giving away a copy of the 29th day. It's a hardcover, uh, dust jacketed um, version of the book. Very, very nice. Beautiful, Uh, beautiful print. Amazing. Yeah, Blackstone Publishing did an amazing job. Uh, It'll be signed and inscribed uh, to the recipient's liking. So we'll Uh be giving that away today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I don't know your process for doing the giveaway, but <laughs> what uh, <laughs> I'm be getting a fun notifications here. Just hold on. Who's this now, uh, dude? I need your name. Okay, I've got one here. Uh, but by the way, we have a studio line. Uh, I should probably announce this. Uh, the number is zero seven nine nine double four eight six three four. Mav, we need a segment uh, video for this one. Um, zero seven double nine double four eight six three four. You can get us on WhatsApp. That is plus two seven for uh, the country code. Uh, drop the zero before the seven. Uh, and then also, guys, don't forget. Uh, thank you, Alex, for that. That's amazing, by the way. Um, so we'll yes. get uh, we'll pass over the details of the person lucky to get that book. And then um, also, don't forget, guys. Uh, you can get a copy of my number one Amazon bestselling book, Your Inner Game on mattbrownshow.com and all you need to do is plug in your details and off you go. It's also free on Kindle. So if you like that kind of reading experience, off you go. Uh, But let's wrap this up, Alex. Um, Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like uh, there's a couple of aspects to it. One is um, I feel like I've been given this incredible gift um, through that quarter inch and, and surviving. And I, 
I want to do good for other people and, and use my skills in a way that um, is as unique as I can uh, use them and, and that will benefit other people, um, whether that's search and rescue or, or helping to communicate through the hospital and things like that or, or through the book. Um, but then I also get out of bed because of that, uh, that following the whispers, right? I like that. I like that, uh, that term. Um, you know, we go through life and, and we kind of see it unfold around us and we just don't know where it's going to go. I bet, you know, how many of us would have said, Oh yeah, spring, summer 2020 is going to be COVID-19. Um, you know, life is surprising. And I think that there's a wonder in that. So, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really motivating to me. (laughs) <laughs> seeing where it goes exactly right dude so amazing so look next time i'm up in minnesota um you can take me on a canoe ride just kidding just kidding. i'd love to <laughs> <laughs> round of applause dude thanks for being on the show it's been an absolute uh, privilege and an honor to have uh, your story told on the map round show thank you to all of you um uh, for checking in especially on uh, facebook you guys are always rad primo we're going to get you a copy of this book just drop me a mail if you guys do want to get in touch with me directly you can do that at hello at mattbrownshow.com so thank you once again alex you've been a rock star today thank you thank you thank you um thanks so much for uh, having me yeah dude pleasure really it was absolutely awesome and uh, we'll see you guys all again soon cheers Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com